Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what it represents. We thank you for what we celebrate. And that is life and that is freedom. That is something that we cannot derive from ourselves or from this world. It can only be given to us. And it can only be given to us because your son rose from the dead. We thank you for all that that promises us and all that that opens up for us. We thank you for your word that stands up against time and is again proven to be true time and time again. We thank you that we can cling to it. We can fasten our hope on it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There have been multiple cases in the medical community when even when everyone tries to be as careful as possible, sometimes a wrong label is put on a patient's blood sample, causing that patient to believe they have a terminal disease when they really don't. I want, to, I want us to put ourselves in that, in that situation, in that patient's shoes. Think about how you would feel at that moment. You've been told you have a terminal disease and you only have a few months left to live. This came completely out of nowhere. You went in for a routine checkup and all of a sudden you're getting this news. This came out of nowhere. And you're in shock that this was even a possibility for you. You go home from hearing that news and start to tell your family and friends. You start to plan out how you want to make the most of your time for the next few months. Maybe you take trips to see different places or visit family members you haven't seen in a long time. But while you do this, you do this all with this dark cloud hanging over your head. You know it will all be your last time for everything. But then, out of the blue, just as suddenly as you had received the news about your illness, the doctor calls you up and admits there was a mistake made along the way and tells you that you do not, in fact, have a terminal illness. You are quite healthy, actually. And you have nothing to worry about. Imagine the wave of exuberance, relief, and freedom you would experience upon finding that second piece of news out. You have a new lease on life, so to speak. It causes every experience you have from that moment on to have a whole new meaning. Conversations with loved ones have a lot more connection to your soul. Simple things like breathing in the spring air with the hint of flowers and freshness invigorate you. Suddenly, every day, everyday life and its experiences are incredibly powerful. You know what that whole experience is? That's what Easter is. That's what Easter is. That's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is. We were just as happy going about our lives the way we thought life was supposed to be. But one day, we realize that this earthly life is it. Boy, that's an incredibly depressing thought, isn't it? Things happen that fill us with shame and guilt and regret. We are filled with depression, believing that the choices that we've made, the things that have happened to us, and all that we can see ahead of us is not how we wish things were. We wish with all our hearts, everything in us, that things could be better. 
but they're not. We're held captive by this world, basing our self-worth on all sorts of things. Our job, our body image, what others think of us, how little or how much money we have, who loves us and who doesn't love us, and how good we can make ourselves feel. And so we seek all sorts of things to help us feel better. We try to find ways of escape. The casinos, nightclubs, bars, and strip clubs are all filled with people trying as hard as they can to find a way of escaping the way they feel in this life. The state of health has plummeted with people filling their bodies with all sorts of things they think, they hope, will make them feel better. Destructive addictions are the way of life. You might be sitting here this morning and say, Gee, Pastor, I came here because it's Easter Sunday, it's a beautiful day out, and I, I wanted to hear a pleasant message. That's why I came. Here's the good news out of all of this. If you feel like life needs to be escaped and you're trying to fill that hole of hopelessness with something, you're on the right track. You're closer to having that fulfilled than you might think. And the first point as we read our passage this, this uh, morning is the powerless. First we need to see what is powerless, what has no power. The first step towards recognizing the power of the resurrection of Jesus is knowing that there is a problem in your life. Seeing that there is a weakness, realizing that you have a metaphorical illness for which you're searching desperately for a cure. That illness is something that was passed on to all of us. It was hereditary, so to speak. You can't do anything about it. You can't change it. That's the way things are. That hereditary illness that we all receive from our forefather, the first man named Adam, is called sin. It causes us to naturally search for something more than ourselves to give us meaning and hope, but also causes us to naturally look for it in all the wrong places. One of the main problems is that we go to different sources to hear about how we can better ourselves. That's what the main problem is. We go to all these different sources to find out how we can better ourselves. So we turn on Oprah, or we read our horoscope, or we dabble in Buddhism or New Ageism, or go to any guru who says they have a secret to a better life. But once again, the problem with all of those and anyone else who says that you can fix yourself is basing their whole message on an impossibility. It's impossible for you to fix yourself. It's impossible for you to fix yourself. On the surface, that's both a relief and a source of hopelessness, isn't it? We talked on Friday night about how out of all the people associated with being the founders of the major world religions, only one claimed that when he died, he would physically come back to life. Only one out of all the major world religions founders. Only one claimed that he was going to die and that he was going to come back to life. Moses, who most likely died around 1486 B.C., didn't and couldn't claim that because he couldn't. Siddhartha Gautama Buddha, who died in 483 B.C., didn't and couldn't claim that, and neither could his followers, because they couldn't. Muhammad, who died in 632 A.D., didn't and couldn't claim that, and neither could his followers, because they couldn't. 
Only one person in the history of the world claimed that he would physically die and physically rise from the dead and actually did it. Only one person's followers in the history of the world claimed that that person physically died and physically rose from the dead and, might I add, did that under torture and, and, and brutal execution. Why would his followers have done that if they knew it was a lie? In other words, only one person's death in the history of the world actually had effective power to change the lives of people for thousands and thousands and thousands of years after that. Why is that? Because only Jesus' death and resurrection set into motion several things in the spiritual realm. See, we think our depression and our diseases and our emptiness and our hopelessness is only connected with us. But all of those are merely symptoms of an unseen war that has been raging since even before the first man and woman were created. The Bible says that when we try to battle these dark feelings of hopelessness and depression by filling our emptiness with something, we aren't even fighting against ourselves or any other human being. The Bible says that we fight against unseen powers of darkness and the evil one himself. He is out to destroy us. He is out to destroy our families. He is out to destroy our reputation. And he is out to destroy our influence to do anything good in this world. Well, that seems even more hopeless now, doesn't it? That's what makes the death and resurrection of Jesus so powerful. We talked on Friday night about how Jesus took everything connected with sin. Our sin itself, along with the power of the painful things that have happened in our pasts, regret, shame, trauma, both physical and emotional, as well as psychological and mental illness, loneliness, despair, and hopelessness, and took it upon himself as he went to and was nailed to the cross. And when he died, those things died too. The power of those died too. So we have the powerless. And now we're going to talk about the powerful. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus died, the power of all that is in our lives died too. Three out of the four Gospels describe how, the, how what represented the separation between humanity and God was literally torn in two from top to bottom. That unleashed the full power of healing, restoration, forgiveness, and wholeness from Almighty God into our lives. See, that's the key. We cannot fix ourselves, but God can. We cannot heal ourselves from trauma in our pasts, but God can. God is the only one who can bring lasting change into our lives. The death of Jesus was the only way that that could happen. All of us has the, have the opportunity to experience the fullness of God's trans transformative power. How? Well, we read about it in our scripture reading this morning. If you, if you closed your Bible or didn't turn it to Luke 4 yet, please, please do so now. Jesus had, and if you didn't bring your Bible with you, that's perfectly fine. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. It's, if you as you turn it in your Bible, you get to the New Testament. It's, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament. Jesus had just started his ministry. You might think, well, aren't we talking about the end of his ministry today? We're going to talk about the 
he had just started his ministry and telling people how, he, how they could enter the kingdom of heaven. And this was his very first public message. He stood up in the local Jewish synagogue and read this in Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. And, on the, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Imagine being in Nazareth that day, and you knew Jesus. You knew him growing up. All of a sudden, he stands up in front of you and reads these words, and then he sa- which is an obvious messianic passage. And then he says that. Then he does this, verse twenty. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the tension is palpable here. All the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. Luke makes a point of saying that. And he began to say to them, "Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing." Wow. At the very least, that's audacious. That's world-changing in reality. That was Jesus' very first message. He reads this messianic passage in Isaiah and says, I'm that guy. That he was the one prophesied about by the Jewish prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before. In Isaiah 61, 1-11, the prophesied Messiah or Deliverer gives a message to his people about restoration and deliverance. The first verse and the beginning part of verse 2 are what Jesus quotes in Luke 4. Now that would have been all well and good, but then Jesus ends his reading with, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in, the, in your hearing. What did Jesus mean by this? He was identifying himself as the prophesied deliverer who had been written about hundreds of years before. The original context of the prophecy and of Jesus applying it to himself was the restoration, peace, and prosperity of Israel, which would fully come to fruition when Jesus reigns on earth. But the specific words that Jesus chose to read go beyond that. Not only was Jesus proclaiming victory for Israel in the future, but he was proclaiming spiritual victory and every kind of victory in our lives here and now. That's what he was proclaiming. With that victory, you know what Jesus was proclaiming? He was proclaiming freedom. That's what he was proclaiming. He was proclaiming freedom. What are these proclamations of victory and freedom? Firstly, he says to preach good news to the poor. In a specific sense, this means destitute, without earthly resources, and therefore without earthly power and influence. In a broader sense, this is anyone whom the world judges as unworthy or who is easily taken advantage of. Jesus is proclaiming to those of you who have been kicked about by society or feel unworthy as a human being or are exploited and taken advantage of, I have good news for you. You are not any of those things in God's eyes. You are not any of those things in God's eyes. First of all, God created you. God loves you. Even if no one else in the world ever loves you with human love, you will always have God loving you. 
Do not be held down by what anyone thinks of you or how they judge you or how little they think of you. Be freed into knowing that God always thinks of you, God always cares about you, God always loves you, and God always wants what's best for you. Next, Jesus proclaims victory and freedom to those who are held captive. This could include anything that holds you in bondage from the joy and freedom that God wants you to experience. It could be an addiction to alcohol, prescription drugs, illegal drugs, pornography, sex, an eating disorder, work, or anything that is destroying you, your family, and your life. It could be anything you're using as an escape mechanism from your life. God wants you to have true fulfillment and true joy. And he knows that those things can only come from him growing them in your life. That's why he wants you so desperately to have a relationship with him. Because he knows that any of these things that we so desperately crave in this life that will last can only come from him. You could be held captive to fear and anxiety, but God wants to offer you freedom from that and give you never-ending and boundless joy and peace. We've been talking about what are called the fruits of the Spirit in our morning services lately. That is immaterial treasures we all crave, but can only be given to us through a relationship with God. These immaterial treasures that we crave are love, and joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We all crave these things, but they can only be given to us. So if you're interested more in any one of these, I invite you to our regular Sunday morning service. Thirdly, Luke records for us that Jesus proclaimed that sight would be given to the blind. That's what Jesus proclaims next. Without trying to confuse everyone too much, this seems to be based uh, on a more of a Septuagint rendering of the Old Testament. That is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, which Luke, being a Gentile, would have been more familiar with. What Isaiah originally said, as what Jesus is quoting, is this. To proclaim freedom to the prisoners. That's what Isaiah originally said. That's, what the, that's the passage that Jesus is quoting from. To proclaim freedom to the prisoners. So sight will be given back to those suffering in the darkness of a prison. They will be let out of that pitch black prison into the glorious light of God's truth and love. Do you feel like you're in a prison of darkness and that you will never have freedom from that prison? Perhaps it's a prison of shame. Perhaps it's a prison of addiction. Perhaps it's a prison of not knowing what or who to trust. Perhaps it's a prison of the power of a disease uh, that a disease has over you. Perhaps it's a prison of crippling depression, hopelessness, or fear. Perhaps it's a prison someone else has created for you. Or perhaps it's a prison you've created for yourself. God wants to smash through those prison doors, destroy those chains around you, and tenderly lead you by the hand out into freedom. He wants you to experience freedom from legalism, and he wants you to experience freedom from yourself. 
He wants, you to, he wants to lead you into a life of freedom based on loving God and loving others. He wants to free you from your guilt, shame, and low self-worth. He wants to free you into a life of fulfillment, purpose, peace, and joy. Next, Luke records for us what Jesus quoted from Isaiah to set free those who are oppressed. If you go back to Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, though, you'll notice that phrase is not included there. You will, however, find it in Isaiah 58, 6. Is this not the fast which I chose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? The evil one seeks to oppress us with every little thing he can think of. It could be the darkness of depression or an emphasis on materialism or a lifestyle of selfishness or comfort or taking the easy way out or an unrelenting feeling of dread or even a form of spiritual oppression itself. But God has and can annihilate every kind of oppression in our lives if we let him. If we let him. His is the only true power, and he uses that power not to bully or abuse, but to free from every other kind of force. You might be sitting here thinking, okay, what do I have to do then to have God heal me from my past traumas, free me from addictions and oppressions, and receive his eternal peace? Well, that's where we come to our third point here, the present. In short, everybody's on the edge of their seat. In short, nothing. Everybody catch that? In short, nothing. It's a gift. Now let me explain. Just as, just as we talked about Jesus' death, having put to death the curse of sin and all its effects, such as physical, emotional, mental, and psychological pain, when he rose from the dead and came back to life, he ushered in an era of life and freedom. See, it's one thing to remove something, but you have to replace it with something else. Or else there's still a hole there. You have to replace it with something else. Jesus' death can remove the pain, sin, and darkness from your soul, and his life replaces it with his life, joy, and peace. Basically, Jesus' resurrected life kicked down the doors of having the fullness of God in our lives on a permanent, everyday basis. What has been missing from your life that you've been trying to fill with all sorts of different things that only end up leaving you still wanting more. What is the one thing you're missing? God himself. That's the one thing you're missing. God is our only source of peace, comfort, joy, and love. Why? Because he created us in his image. And all of those are who he is. What we crave, when we crave all of those things, is really, if you think about it, God himself. We don't just crave those things. What we're really craving is God himself. Perhaps you've heard of the Trinity. That is the three persons, three in one. Three persons who are all God and make up God. All three are mentioned in verse 18 of our passage this morning. In Luke 4.18, Jesus first starts out by saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Holy Spirit, the Father, 
and the Son. The Lord is Father God, the me is Jesus, the Deliverer, and the Son of God, and the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. But here's the problem. Because of our sin and constant nature to turn our back on God, we are all severed from Father God. He is holy and perfect, and we are not. By our own choice and our spiritual shortcomings. This Bible says that we cannot be made whole with God and have all of Him in our lives on our own because our sin and imperfection prevents us from that. Now the story could have ended there. The story could have just ended there and we would remain spiritually forever, for, forever spiritually destitute with no hope for healing, restoration, comfort, peace, or love. But because God created us with souls which go on living even after we physically die, that separation from God would continue on into eternity. It would and it does without God. But God's love for us was too strong to let that happen. So the second person of the Trinity, the Son, in complete obedience to the Father, came to earth as fully man and fully God to restore that relationship between God and humanity. The only way to do this was to satisfy the only stipulation of restoring separation, and that was death. The penalty for our sin had the punishment built right into it, and that was death. God is life, and so the rightful penalty for not choosing God is the opposite of life. But God is both perfectly just and perfectly loving, and so not wanting to condemn humanity to eternal death or separation from God, the extension of the curse of human death, God chose to satisfy that stipulation himself. That's the greatest act of love, I think. Jesus, as God and as a man, lived a sinless life, thus providing the perfect sacrifice on our behalves. He willingly went to the cross as a completely innocent person to satisfy the stipulation we had no hope of paying. He took our sin, the curse of sin, and everything associated with the curse of sin onto himself and put it to death when he took his last breath. If Jesus had simply died, you know what that would have proven? That he wasn't God. If he had just simply died, that would have just proven he was just mere man. That he wasn't God. But three days later, Jesus rose back to life, proving he is God and defeating the end result of the curse of sin, which is death. And because of that, he lives to put to death the curse of sin in our lives and replace it with the freedom and hope that he was proclaiming at the beginning of his ministry. See, he could say these words at the beginning of his ministry, but they wouldn't mean anything unless he backed it up by coming back to life. The Bible says that Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalves is extended to each and every person by God as a gift. When we, if, if we take it, if we take that gift, when God looks at us from a legal standpoint, you know what he sees? All he sees is the perfection of Jesus on our behalves. That's all he sees. If we don't, then we suffer what God says is our just punishment, and that is eternal banishment from him. A world without God and all that he is, comfort, peace, joy, love, 
light, order, goodness, and mercy, all these things that we take for granted, that's what hell is. In fact, hell is the epitome of the opposite of all who God is and all that is good in this world. It is not a fun place. The gift that God extends to us, to all of us, is God himself. That's the gift. The gift that he extends to each and every one of us is himself. The only way it's even being offered to us is because Jesus already paid for it. That's why it's a gift. You don't go out and buy your own birth. Well, some people go out and buy their own birthday gift, but doesn't mean it's not really a gift if you buy it yourself, is it? Jesus already paid for this gift. That's why it's a gift. And like a gift, it's not ours unless we take it for ourselves. Somebody could say, happy birthday, here's a gift, and then to turn around and walk away with it and leave. Was that gift ever ours? No, it wasn't ours until we took it out of their hands. Taking that gift, you may have heard these terms before, means that we're saved or we've been born again because we have a new spiritual birth. Once we have that gift, God will never take it back because it was God who gave it to us in the first place. And we will never lose it because once again, it was God who gave it to us in the first place. I want you to stick with me here. Those of you who... Now, since the gift of God is God himself, that is, ultimate peace, joy, love, goodness, mercy, purpose, comfort, all that we crave in this world, we also have to want him as he is. We can't say, well, I want you, God, but I, I, I got a few stipulations before I take you. We have to want him as he is. He's the king of the universe. He created you. That means he's the king over your life. We can't pick and choose. If we want God, we have to want all of God, or else we don't really have him. So here's the question. How do I accept that gift from God? That is God himself. You can talk to God right now, and you can say, Father, I know that my sin separates me from you and there's nothing I can do about it. I've tried everything else to satisfy me and nothing has worked. I know I need you, all of you, and only you in my life because you are the only one who can give me lasting meaning. I know that Jesus' death and resurrection paid my sin penalty. Please forgive me because of what he did for me. I accept you as my free gift by accepting all of you with no strings attached as the king of my life. And as such, I will live the rest of my life following what I know is what you know is what's best for me. If you've already made that commitment, but you've never experienced freedom of God and in a certain area of your life yet, you don't not have it, or you don't have to ask. You already have it. It's like when you find a $20 bill in your pocket that you never knew you had. You already have this freedom. You need to embrace it and live your life in its power. It has no the, the, the things of this world and the things of darkness have no power over you, and that is not who you are. 
God is in the process of helping you to see that and fully live it out. Jesus won the victory over death and the curse of sin. One of the spoils of that war, of that victory, that he wants to give you from that war is his freedom. That's one of the spoils he wants to give to you. Today on Easter Sunday, may God's freedom your freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that happened when you rose from the dead and all that that means and all the life that that gives to us. I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that never, has never accepted that gift that is you, I pray that would do that, they would do that today and they would finally experience the full power of God and your freedom in their lives. I pray that for those of, uh, of us who are here who, who have accepted that gift and made that commitment to you, but haven't experienced your freedom in a specific area of our lives, I pray that we would open ourselves completely up to you and let your freedom seep into every nook and cranny of our lives and release those bonds and break those chains and kick open those prison doors. As you left the tomb, that tomb could not hold you. And these things have no power of our lives. You are the only power over our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us as we